Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, and Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and I pray that as we um, open your word, that our ears would hear and our hearts would be receptive to what you would have uh, for us to learn and to apply. In Christ's name, amen. Folks, I'm going to take just a couple of minutes and kind of put on my session hat uh, before we get to the passage. And for a couple of reasons, um, I've been on the session, uh, been on the search committee since uh, March of 21 when we started our search for a new pastor. And so I have uh, had the privilege and honor to experience firsthand uh, the Lord's work in this congregation uh, since almost uh, three years ago. And I just want to take a minute and I want to commend this congregation our pastors, our directors, our staff on several things that I have witnessed and experienced and I want to commend you for it. One is your steadfast love for one another. It is so real and so evident in so many of the things that we've experienced together. Um, your willingness to be open and receptive and patience to discern the will of God, your honesty to do personal soul searching, which is a very hard thing to do, and finally, your desire to move forward in ministry, um, both corporately and individually. Um, our search committee has uh, talked with a number of folks, uh, candidates, and one of the things that we've been able to tell them is when you come to this church, this train is moving and you're going to have to jump on. And I think Josh uh, may be experiencing that right now. I saw him the other day uh, and his tongue was hanging out 
and uh, he was uh, sweating a little bit, and uh, I think he's experiencing that. But I say all that to say this. Um, I have sensed, and I think our leadership has sensed, and I hope that you have sensed, uh, that because of all that's, that's going on, uh, we see the Holy Spirit working really in a lot of ways, but two in particular. One in the area of prayer and one in the area of our outreach uh, and, and uh, seeking to bring the lost and to welcome folks here, which is one of our challenges that came out of our um, time together of our survey. So I just I want to commend you for that. And last, I want to tell you that the search committee covets your prayers. We feel them. We're energized by them. And I want to tell you personally, I get a lot of notes. I get a lot of texts. I get a lot of grab me an arm in the hallway and how am I doing and am I hanging in there? And I just want to tell you that I'm not weary and I'm not burdened by the responsibilities that uh, I feel here at First Divan. And that's because of you and, and your prayers and, and the life that we're living here. And um, you're to be commended for that. So let's shift gears here. Um, I um, was here a year ago um, talking to you. And uh, some may remember that we talked about all the benefits and the glory of being uh, spiritually adopted. And what all that means. And that we're family. And I'm back here again. They let me back up here. And um, today I want to talk to you a little bit about keeping your confidence. Uh, several weeks ago, back in November, um, uh, Robert C. Uh, uh, introduced a number of us to a book that Alistair Begg had written back in 2021. It says, the title of it is Brave by Faith. Some of y'all may have had an opportunity to um, read that and part of it. So this morning, really, my thoughts in the scripture uh, sort of stems from some ideas that came out of that book that I read. And this idea of keeping your confidence is really in the context of our confidence in the Lord and who we are in the Lord. And, um, you know, we, we read these passages of 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, exiles. And then we read Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in the faith, having acknowledged that they were strangers and pilgrims or exiles on this earth. And for me and many of us sitting in this congregation and many of us in the evangelical world here in the United States, for many years we've read those passages and the thought that's gone through our mind is, I wonder what it's like to be a stranger, a sojourner, and an exile in this world. We've, we've sort of, you know, thought about that a lot. And the reality is, is now we know what that means because the winds have changed and we all know it. And we now are feeling a little bit about and being overwhelmed by the fact that we're, we're no longer the majority opinion on things uh, and that our views, our views on biblical views are no longer considered acceptable or even expressible in some ways. Um, and that's not a good feeling. Um, but it's caused us 
to think hard about this, all of us. And I think for me, the turning point was in June of 2015 when the Supreme Court ruled that the 14th Amendment uh, allows there to be same-sex marriages in this country. And for me, that was a, that was a turning point. And, uh, and for you, it's probably been different things, different times, but I dare say there's anybody sitting in this room that feels like um, things haven't changed and are changing and the winds have, have, are blowing out of the north. And so um, these forces of secularism are hitting us right between the eyes. Tim Keller uh, described our times in this way. He said, we are entering a new era in which there is not only no social benefit to being a Christian, but our actual social costs. And some in this room have felt that and experienced that. And if you haven't, you will. And so this whole idea of secularism, modern paganism, they're hand in hand. Uh, and it's taking their toll uh, in our families, in our culture, uh, in our country. And um, we're starting to feel a little bit of that notion of a persecuted church. I've been in prayer meetings on many a Sunday night where we have prayed for the persecuted church all over this world. Many of y'all have been there too. And, um, and we understand theoretically what that is, but that, and it seems like a distance away, but it's come home to roost in this country. And so, um, so we in America, I think, and I'm guilty of it, we have sort of felt like you know, this home we live in is pretty okay. You know, we, we got, we got uh, all that the world could ask for. People rush to get to this country, and hey, it's, it's been okay. But that's not how we're feeling now, is we are now feeling the fact that this broken, sinful world we live in is not actually our home. And thank God it's not our home as believers that we are really strangers and exiles. The secularism is pushes, pushes back at again and again against what the Bible says about sexual ethics, about salvation, about education, about the role and reach of the state, or about matters of public welfare everywhere that touches our lives. Um, the winds have changed. Public opinion is turned against uh, Christians generally, and we are finding ourselves as a minority group and what it feels like to be an outsider. And you know what, folks? We don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like the feel of it, and I know you don't either. So we have decisions to make. We can become, or it becomes much easier to become bewildered are angry, are defensive, or even defeated. And so it begs the question, how are we as believers going to live in this new normal? Because this is the new normal. I don't see it going back. You know, Jim Fleming spent a lot of time in Daniel and talked about this a little bit. You know, it's, it's we're, we're in a different, different world than we've been before. Where our society does not like what we believe, what we say, or how we live. 
And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk about how do we keep our confidence in all that. And I've picked two passages, and there are many passages in Scripture that encourage us, that exhort us, that help us understand that we are, uh, this, is not our, this is not our country, and to encourage us. But these two passages specifically I want to focus on today. And we're going to look at them and uh, see if we can glean some uh, truth out of them of how we keep our confidence. And when I talk about confidence, I'm not talking about a false confidence or a false hope that the world has, but our confidence in the Lord, who we are in Jesus Christ and what we are in Jesus Christ. And why? Because of what we are and who we are, we can be confident in persecution. And this morning when, we talk, when I talk about that, I'm not talking about just persecution from the outside about our faith, but really any trial, any tribulation, any troubles that we face as believers, how do we keep our confidence in who we are? And so I picked these two passages, one out of 1 Peter, one out of Hebrews. We don't know who the really who the writer of Hebrews was. There's speculation. It could have been Paul. It could have been others. But we really don't know. First Peter, we're pretty sure about who wrote First and Second Peter. And, um, and so a little background on that. You know, many of y'all know the story of Peter, probably Peter and John, the two disciples that we probably could talk the most about. That fellow was something. I mean, he had some moxie. You know, when he became a disciple of Christ, you know, you, you describe his personality. You know, he was impulsive. He was ambitious. He was self-assertive. He was quick to commit without fully understanding what Christ was telling him. And we see that in, in his life. And we see, you know, he was the one that walked on the water until he decided he didn't how much faith he might not have and he started to sink. He's the one who denied Christ three times. But he is also the apostle, among other apostles, that was anointed by Christ and to have the authority of Christ. Who was the man that preached at Pentecost? He was the man. Over about 3,000 folks came to know the Lord. He was there when the explosion of the church began. He was the first apostle to... to um, perform a miracle after Pentecost. He raised someone from the dead. He was persecuted. He was uh, imprisoned. He was beaten. Um, at the time he writes First Peter, it's probably toward the end of his life, um, AD, somewhere between AD 60 and 68, he died. Uh, we don't know this from Scripture, but from historical documents that he died a martyr's death. Tradition says he was crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be uh, executed as Christ was. But what we know about him is when he gives us this passage, he knows of what he speaks. And he's speaking toward the end of his life. And, you know, folks at the end of their lives, they're kind of wanting to share what they really is in their heart. And that's what he's sharing in this passage in First Peter is how to keep that confidence. And he knows of what he speaks um, because he, he did not live an easy life. And the same with Hebrews. We do not know the author, 
But we do know this. We know that it was written in a time that the church, the church was persecuted. The early church was persecuted. And um, there was a lot of uh, uh, anxiety. There was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of uh, concerns about who are we and is this, is this gospel real? And these two authors address that. And, um, and they come and they talk about dealing with the persecution of these believers. And what was going on with these believers? We know that they were insulted, um, that they are slanderous accusations against them of wrongdoing, uh, that they were disloyal to the emperor, uh, that they were uh, defaming of the other gods. Uh, they, were, they were beaten. Uh, they were socially ostracized. Does any of that ring a bell with any of y'all? you know, of what's going on in our world and what's going on with our faith and our belief. Um, in other words, we're experiencing what they were experiencing and we're seeing it more and more real. And so with that in mind, I want to talk about this keeping your confidence in these two passages. And there's three elements to it that I just want to spend a brief time talking about. And that's this. To keep our confidence is the first of all, we got to recognize the source of and the reason of our confidence. The second thing is we got to maintain our confidence. And the third is we got to grow our confidence. And so let's look at these scriptures. So in 1 Peter 2 9, what does it tell us? We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, who, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what we have here is a passage that's telling, Peter's telling, reminding us, reminding the people of the early church who we are in Christ and that our standing, just like we've talked last year about being spiritually adopted, is, we, is this idea that... Um, we're highly privileged. We have four dignities that are bestowed upon us. And he compares our former life to our present life. To say that's your confidence. Your confidence is in the blood of Jesus Christ that saved you, transforms you, so that you can be all God wants you to be. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And so the first is we have to... Go back and, and, and remind ourselves of that. And the second is to maintain your confidence. In Hebrews 11, the passage uh, in, in uh, verse 13, is that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And so this idea of we maintain our confidence and how do we do that? We do that through we embrace it, we recognize who we are, we hug it, we, we embrace it. And we're persuaded uh, by that. We're persuaded that the promises are true and we can embrace them because they are true. And so we maintain that confidence because we, we recognize them, we, we're persuaded by them, we embrace them. But beyond that, we confess it. 
We confess that we are sojourners and we are exiles. We confess we are not of this world, but yet uh, we're not ashamed of who we are. It both uh, through our lips and our lives, confess our present condition, and then desire our heavenly home. Scripture goes on in Hebrews to talk about that. It's desire what is ultimately will be our home and to long for it, not to go into some monastery somewhere or to, you know, retreat into the church and just wait for that day to happen, but because we long for it, because of the hope of it, that we make a difference in this world because not only is this not our world as believers, but it's not ultimately the world of those who are not believers. And their world, hell is real. And that world is not, not one we wish anybody uh, to happen to. And so we take those things, that confidence that to keep it, we've got to recognize who we are. We've got to maintain it. We've got to be persuaded by it, embrace it, confess it. And then finally, is how do we grow in that confidence? We understand who we are in Christ. We embrace it. Uh, but as persecution comes and as we face those trials, how do, we, how do we deal with them? And that's where it grows our confidence. Because the passage goes on to say in Hebrews um, 11, um, I'm sorry, back, um, yeah, Hebrews, is that, um, that we, um, we are sojourners and exiles in verse 11 and abstain from the passions, of the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So how do we grow that confidence? As we resist the temptation of the lust of the flesh that, we, that, that battles against our souls, that, we, that confidence we have in Christ emboldens us to fight against that temptation. And beyond that, we make a difference. That folks see in something that's different. That we take the opportunities I've, my wife and I have talked about this. One of the silver linings, I think, in this world that we live in, that we are, not, we are exiles in this culture we fight against, is there are so many opportunities now that we have for people not, even, not just to see a difference in us, but hear about the difference in us and what that means and how we live that. And so that raises... Uh, a couple of questions about just the practical application of how do we, in keeping that confidence, how do we do it and how do we go about doing it in this world? And just a few, few things. Um, you need to think now about where you would draw the lines when it comes time, if you're persecuted and, and you may have already had to draw those lines, is where you as a believer say, you know, I've got to stand firm. I've got, to, uh, I've got to be Christ-like, and I have to stand for what's Christ-like. And that'll be different for different people where they draw those lines. But we need to be about that. We need to be about what obedience looks like. And that obedience is, uh, we're to be obedient despite the consequences, despite what may happen through the persecution 
is it's not our obedience is not tied to a good outcome to a resolution that we like it's it's tied to Christ and who we are in Christ that gets us through those tough times even if the results are not good and they're harsh and they're hard and we also have to uh, to maintain that, keep that confidence, practically speaking, we've got to recognize that our God is big enough to use our words and his word to bring anyone, and I mean anyone, to repentance. That he can bring all to repentance. Because our job is not, right, it's not to convert people, right? Our job is to communicate the gospel. And if we keep our confidence and we will be about who we are in Christ, when that persecution comes, we're still going to be able to share the gospel. And when you think about the stories in the in Old Testament and New Testament of martyrs, of people who have suffered for Christ, who've been persecuted, and you read about those who were the persecutors, and so many of them, it changed their lives to see what believers went through and how they went through it. And you think about the Daniel's friends in the lion's den, you know, and who shows up, you know, and that, not the lion's den, the furnace, who shows up there? And there was a fourth person there and there's questions about it. Was that Christ and who was that? But people will see a difference if you're about keeping that confidence in Christ even in the hardest times even in the toughest times people will see uh, the difference and and many of them will come to know the Lord because of it and so then the other is you know our faithfulness may may mean we get sidelined it may mean that we lose some of our prestige that we lose some of our uh, ability to persuade or whatever, and that we are we're sidelined. But even if we're sidelined, we're still about the gospel. We're still about living as believers because wherever we are, on the front, on the sidelines, carrying the water, whatever it might be, um, brings us to the last point. And whatever we are doing, we're to serve well and stand firm. We're to be about a people that whatever we're doing, that Christ, that people see in us uh, a difference and that we serve well and that we don't hide ourselves. And then finally, when it comes to those fiery trials, when it comes to that time where we're in the midst of it, you know, just like Daniel's friends, you know, God didn't take them around the furnace or out of the furnace. He took them through the furnace. And that through the furnace um, experience is where God grows us and where we see who God really is. You know, it sort of takes our theology from theory to practice. And who, what do we really believe? What is our confidence in? And it shores up that confidence. It, it emboldens us. I mean, Peter, when you think about Peter, all that he went through and all the troubles that he went through, he just kept getting stronger. 
Now, part of that's his personality. He was kind of a go-getter out there in the front, but it just emboldened. That's what persecution does. We don't want to go through it. We don't want to deal with it. But through it, if we keep our confidence, we come out of it so much more knowing about who God is and who we are. And, and so our faith grows. And I'm going to close because uh, I know we've got communion here. And I'm going to close with this. I've not been persecuted. I mean, I've had a great life. I've had some hard times. But I'm going to share one of them because these passages, they're not just about persecution for your faith. They're just whatever tribulation. When Sean and I moved back from uh, law school, we were 25 years old. Sean was six weeks pregnant with our first child, and now we have five. And uh, we were robbed in our home one night, and I was shot four times and looked death in the eye, literally. Uh, and, uh, and that process, I mean, that was a, that's a tribulation. I, w- I, won't, I don't recommend you learning more about God than going out and getting shot to do it. But there were two things that came out of that for me that I will never be the, ch- be the same. One, there was a time period before the paramedics got to our house that I was sitting in a chair and I was covered with blood. I knew I was shot. I didn't know how many times. I didn't know where. I didn't know whether I was living or going to live or die. But there was such a peace that came over me. The Holy Spirit. And just told me, not so much you're going to be okay, but you're secure in your faith. You are mine. And whether you stay or you go, you are secure. And heaven is there if you go. And if it's not, you're secure knowing that you are saved. I'll never doubt my salvation. I don't care what somebody does to me. Um, I'll never doubt it. Sean, I've told her, we've talked about this many times. When you've been shot four times, when anything else happens to you, you're, you're, you kind of categorize it, well, this is not worse than being shot four times. So we can, we can deal with this. The second thing was for, I'm not a guy that's an on-edge guy. I'm pretty mild-mannered, not, not a whole lot gets me, you know, angst. But for months, weeks after that, I was on edge. I couldn't pray. I couldn't I just couldn't really anything spiritually I was just struggling with. And to me, initially I was thinking, well, that's just the trauma, you know, just of being shot or whatever. And then again, the Holy Spirit one night, just like it just speaking to me, said, you need to forgive that guy that tried to kill you and your wife. And you haven't forgiven him. And I mean, I was on the ground weeping. But I forgave him. And the power of forgiveness is unbelievable. But I just say that to say, don't, nothing great about me, but the two things that God revealed about him and who he is and the power he has through us, I'll never be the same. And I'm confident that we could line people up and down this stage to talk about persecution, tribulation you've gone through, and where you've seen God 
work and what you've learned. And all that to say is keep your confidence. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, come to, uh, to the table, I pray that uh, what we've heard today, we can uh, be encouraged and we can be strengthened uh, and we can uh, have our confidence in you, uh, Christ who has saved us. In Christ's name, amen.